from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome. Hey, everyone. Today, upon the release of this podcast, mm-hmm. it is a very special day. Okay. It's the 100th anniversary of the birth of John Paul II. Pretty special. Oh, yes. So, May 18th, 1920. 1920. Wow. I was actually in the room where he was born in his home in, if I can pronounce it correctly, Wadowice, Poland. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing experience to be in that place and to imagine that day having no, I mean, new babies coming into the world. That's obviously awesome and amazing, but no one could have possibly known the impact that that one life was going to have on the world over the next 85 years. Incredible. So happy birthday, JP2. Keep praying for us. We need your prayers. Thank you for all you did for our world. Thank you for all you did for our church. Thank you for all you did for my life personally, for our marriage, Mm -hmm. for our family. Thank you for uh, your guidance and protection in this work that we do here at the Theology of the Body Institute, promoting your teaching. And we ask also for the covering of that blood that you shed in St. Peter's Square I've always had a special connection to that blood he shed. It was May 13th, 1981 when he was shot. Um, But what a lot of people don't know is on the day he was shot, he was going to announce the establishment of the John Paul II Institute, of which I'm a proud graduate. And uh, before he could do so, he was gunned down. And uh, later he put the institute under the protection of Our Lady of Fatima. And I've always felt a special close connection to those events Mm -hmm. because of the work that I do and When I was in Poland a few years ago, I had no idea I was going to see this. We we turned the corner at this very new, at the time, John Paul II Center in Krakow. And in this corner of this one room behind a glass case was the cassock that John Paul II was wearing on the day he was shot. Oh, my goodness. And there it was, right before my eyes, the bloodied cassock of John Paul II. Uh, having felt oh for so long this special connection to the blood he shed that day, and I, I just wept seeing, mm. seeing that blood. It was a bloodbath, really. the The amount of blood on that cassock mm. is is stunning. But anyway, thank you, JP two. Thank you for shedding that blood. Thank you for your intercession from heaven. Thank you also, JP two, for your intercession for our virtual conference that we held last weekend, which was. Just an amazing outpouring of grace around the world. We had something like 100 countries represented at the conference. Wow. 77,000 registrants from around the world. Just so fruitful, so amazing to see the graces flowing. Thank you to everyone who spread the word to others. Yes, thank you, all all our listeners out there who were participants and for sharing with other people to help get others involved. It was was a I don't even want to use the word success. That makes it sound too um, worldly or something. It was it was a great outpouring of grace. My image was like 70,000 people from around the world roasting marshmallows over the same T.O.B. fire. <laughs> it was really a kind of a campfire experience. It was beautiful. Yeah. And, and because it was 
so successful, if we want to use that word, not the, the best word, but you know what I mean. Uh, there's been a demand for more, and we are going to be doing a virtual conference in Spanish. So mm-hmm. this is a, uh, we've felt this need over the years and lots and lots of requests from Spanish-speaking people to do more for the Spanish-speaking world. And we are on June 12th to the 14th. So if you are a Spanish speaker or you know any Spanish speakers, please help us spread the word. TOBvirtualconference.com forward slash Spanish. We're going to have a free conference June 12th to the 14th. Mm. And just like the conference we just did, if people want to have ongoing access, they can get the premium pass. Uh, So, yeah, if you out there didn't know about this virtual conference that we had last weekend, well, two weekends ago, I guess, upon your listening to this podcast, and if you want to have access to those talks, they're still available. We had over 80 speakers and you can you can go to uh, the link in the show notes there to learn more about the premium pass and how to have ongoing access to that. But again, we have this new Spanish version of a virtual conference coming the weekend of June 12th to the 14th. We'll have about 20 of the talks from the English conference translated, and then we'll have uh, another 20 or more Spanish speakers who will be giving talks directly in Spanish. So that's quite exciting. That really is. I I do thank the Lord for His faithfulness in bringing good out of a trial. And I, I sense that the availability of all these speakers, the availability of all those people to participate in the conference is directly related to Absolutely. the coronavirus. The coronavirus um, craziness. And so the Lord in His goodness is just, I, I just see it. I see Him smiling. I see His joy over bringing good out of this trial and, and giving us that space and time to share the graces that he's poured out. You know, he poured out these graces in the speaker's lives and it's their privilege to be able That's to right. share it with others and to see him now working in other people's lives through that. Another great grace that I'm seeing is a lot of Catholic speakers, you know, we kind of, we live in our own little silos and we do our own work and certainly we run into each other at conferences and those kind of things and we're all very friendly with one another. But I, I've seen a beautiful coming together in wanting to support one another. Mm-hmm. Lots of apostolates and ministries are doing these online conferences. Jason Everett is going to be doing one uh, very soon. Gosh, I don't remember the exact dates. It might be this even upcoming weekend. But we'll we'll put the link in the show notes here mm-hmm. for you to learn more about Jason Everett's conference. I'll I'll be a speaker at that one as well. Damon Owens is doing a marriage conference. You and I, Wendy, will That's be. Right. Speakers at that, that's coming up early in June, I believe, and we'll, we'll yeah. get a link in the show notes for that as well. So just there's lots of, lots of these events going on. I urge you to, to be aware and, and learn more and participate in these conferences that mm. so many apostolates are doing. Yeah. It's not only a, a, a great gift to the church in terms of the content and the, the learning and the deepening in faith, but it's also a great help in supporting these ministries who have been out of work because of the coronavirus. Yeah. So thanks everybody. Shall yeah, we? let's jump in with some. Yeah, I I actually I've been looking through questions. So thank you all again for submitting your questions and I do want to share that and we have mentioned this before in our podcast but the whole idea of responding to people's sincere questions has always been on our hearts. And uh, Christopher, you in a particular way have just been really inspired and motivated by the questions yes. of 
seeking people. And so just early in your ministry, Christopher wrote a book called Good News About Sex and Marriage, and it's a question and answer book um, that has been updated more recently, but I really do want to make our listeners to our podcast aware of that because there are some questions that can just be answered more thoroughly, especially about more intimate questions in that format of the book. And I, so I want you to know about that, that we sometimes can't bring up all the topics on the podcast, but we don't want you to be just at a loss. Yes. If you've asked, if you know, you've submitted a question of a particularly sensitive nature, the reading good news about sex and marriage might be a more appropriate place to get answers to those mm-hmm. questions. So um, we'll have a, a link in the show notes to that book as well. And hey, if you, we, I mean this sincerely, if you are in financial need, we're, we're not just trying to pitch you on buying this book. If you want a copy of that book and you are in financial need, just send us an email and we will we'll find donors or whatever we need to do to, to cover costs to get a copy to you. We want people to have that resource. It's not about making money and by pitching books. It's about getting this out to people who have earnest questions. There's over 150 questions in that book. The original edition had, I think, 114 questions, and I updated it last year based on all the things that have changed in the last 20 years since I first wrote that book. Uh, so, yeah, there's 150 questions. All the sensitive, yeah. uh, <laughs> nitty-gritty questions are in there, and uh, the theology of the body is used as a way of, of answering those questions. So, just holding that out uh, as a resource for yes. everybody. So, let me share a question from Jessica. Okay. Jessica says, for years I've studied mystical theology and put what I've learned into practice, longing for union with God. He is so good, I do not doubt that he offers this union to us all. However, I've bumped into a brick wall. Mm. How does one distinguish between scrupulous Puritanism and what the saints describe as the renunciation of all created things for the love of God? I love God very much and want to love him more, but when I attempt the bodily mortifications recommended by the saints, I feel less capable of being a joyful wife and mother. The fruits of these endeavors make me more difficult to live with, <laughs> not more saintly. <laughs> this is great. I love yeah, this. I'm you, certain, you can relate to this, Wendy. Yes, I'm certain God does not want this, but he does want union. Is there a separate path to union for the married than to deny oneself all pleasures but those found in prayer? Oh, gosh. These, these, this is so important. I'm so glad we're answering this question. And Wendy, you're going to have to keep me on track because there's many, many layers to this question. And I'd like to be as thorough as we can in the few minutes we have to address it. So uh, let, let's just begin with this about renunciation of earthly pleasures. Mm-hmm. And how do we distinguish that from, how does she word it? It was, wasn't just renunciation of earthly pleasures, but renunciation of- All created things. Of all cre- Yeah, that's what I, all created things. And and what was the, how do we distinguish that from? A scrupulous Puritanism. Scrupulous, okay, so important. Jessica, you're on it, girl. I love your sensitivity. I love the movements of your heart. I think you have a proper sensitivity. And let me just say this about some of the language of the saints. Got to be very, very careful here. If we are not properly formed in the goodness of creation, the goodness of creation, the sacramentality of creation, mm-hmm. when we are not well formed in proper Catholic theology, 
we can read some language in the saints and grossly misinterpret it. This idea of renunciation of all created things. Created things. See, if you don't have a proper understanding of the goodness of creation and the sacramentality of creation, you could end up concluding, oh, creation is bad. Got to renounce that. I got to think of spiritual things. Physical things are bad. This is not our faith. This is not our faith. If physical things are bad, the incarnation is blasphemy. Mm. This is not our faith. The renun- when the saints speak about the renunciation of created things, it would be more accurate to say the renunciation of our idolatrous attachment to created things. That's what the saints are getting after. We are not to renounce created things as if created things are bad, but we are to renounce our idolatrous attachment to them. Creation and all the goods of creation, all the beautiful things of creation, all the delightful pleasures of creation, eating, drinking, smelling in the goodness of creation, are the sensual realities of creation. These are all so many icons, that's the key word, icons of heavenly realities. I'm going to go right to John on the cross here, who is very, very clear on the need to renounce our idolatrous attachment to created things. But the wonder, the joy that happens when we renounce our idolatrous attachment to created things is we come to see all of creation as an icon, a window to heaven. That's what icons do. Icons open a window to heaven. Only, uh, could put it this way, only a mystic knows how to rejoice in a good beer or a good glass of wine or the delight of music as as an icon that opens itself to the heavenly reality to which that icon points. When we don't have that iconic understanding or we don't have an understanding of the created pleasure as an icon, we can stop at the created pleasure and we can try to suck a kind of infinite fulfillment out of a finite pleasure. That's when the icon degenerates into an idol. And that's what we have to renounce, our idolatrous attachment to created things. But again, the goal becomes to see creation as an icon. Uh, You also spoke, Jessica, of bodily mortifications and practicing these bodily mortifications uh, make you you not... uh, Make more difficult to live with. Make you more difficult to live with. Um, I'm sure you want to maybe say some things about that, Wendy, too, (laughs) because I know you can relate. My dear sister, Jessica, I'm going to quote here Pope Francis, who said... We, we have to be very careful, and I'm paraphrasing, it's not a direct quote, very careful not to assume that the practices of certain saints that may have been of some benefit to them in their lives and their circumstances and their place and their time means that we should take these things up as if this is a, a practice we're all to embrace. And it might have been, I think it might have been Mother Angelica who said, Uh, Some saints are better admired than imitated. I think this is good wisdom. There there are lots of exaggerated pieties, lots of exaggerated practices in the lives of saints. Uh, And this is, again, Pope Francis in his document on holiness. I, I invite you to read it. It's very balanced. 
He says, just because this church canonizes someone, the church is not saying everything this saint did is to be emulated, is to be imitated, right? Saints are broken human beings too, with all kinds of imbalances in their lives. So, we, we have to be discerning here. And here's a good principle. Do not take upon yourself an extraordinary mortification. What do I mean by that? There are ordinary mortifications that are part of the normal practice of any Catholic that comes up in the liturgical practice and the liturgical calendar of the church. For example, during Lent, the church, this is for everybody. This is an ordinary practice of mortification. During Lent, we're called to abstain from meat. We're called to offer certain sacrifices of our own choosing. And by the way, an ordinary practice of mortification is every Friday, we're meant to be offering some kind of sacrifice or fast of some kind of our choosing. Those are the ordinary practices of mortification. There are extraordinary practices of mortification, and here's a good working principle. Never take them upon yourself. Never decide just in your own head, I think this would be a good idea to do X, Y, and Z if it's an extraordinary mortification. Talk it through with a a wise priest, a wise spiritual director, uh, a wise friend, because the end result can often be pride. When we take these things upon ourselves, we can, we can end with spiritual pride and we can just become, as you're recognizing in your own life as a wife and a mother, more irritable to, and, and less pleasant to be around. And as she, what did she say, Wendy? She said, it makes me, um, it makes me something less capable of being a joyful wife and mother. There it is. Less capable of being a joyful. You are absolutely called to be a joyful wife and a mother. If your, quote, spiritual practices of mortification, end quote, are causing you not to be a joyful wife and mother, I would say something is off. And you already know that. You're already sensing that. You're already on the right path. And I hope what I'm saying is just affirming what you're already feeling here. I hope that's helpful. Wendy, you want to add anything? I I would just share real quickly that I have in my own just life in I don't know, my being a wife and mother, the combination of factors during Lent over the years have been, it's been cold for a long time and Mm -hmm. I don't feel well. And you've been traveling a whole lot, you Mm -hmm. know, during that time of the year. And I feel, you know, kind of like my life circumstances have already created a whole lot of (laughs) sacrifice. And so it just... In that state, like, I've really prayed and asked the Lord, am I called to sacrifice something? And the sense I've had is the sacrifice I'm called to is to do something extra fun. Mm, (laughs) And that sounds crazy, but when you're a very dutiful person and you're not feeling well, to make yourself more enjoyable to your family requires effort. And so for me, that has been a real, like, just sense of guidance from the Lord for me in my vocation is that rather than making myself even more difficult to live with than I already am because of my circumstances, to do the opposite and, you know, choose that with his grace and with his guidance has been a great help to me and to my family. I also just do want to bring up that Jessica is speaking about something being on a journey to union with God. And I don't know that we've really talked about that sort of transforming union or 
you know, what is meant by that in the spiritual journey by, you know, in the writings of many saints. And I don't know if you can shed light on that for sure, our listeners. Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. In fact, I'll, I'll point to one of my favorite quotes from John Paul II. This is from his document on the third millennium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just read it. He says, the great mystical tradition of the church shows how prayer can progress as a genuine dialogue of love, dialogue of love, meaning we're not just talking to God, but we're learning to listen to Him speaking to our hearts, Mm -hmm. to the point of rendering the person wholly possessed by the divine beloved. Interesting, when we hear the word possessed, we think demonic possession, right? Possession by unholy spirits. But the devil can only mock the holy. That's what he always does. He mocks the holy. Possession by unholy spirits is a diabolic mockery of what we're all called to, which is to be wholly possessed by the Holy Spirit. Mm. This is what happened to Mary at the Annunciation. She was wholly possessed by the Holy Spirit. She was seized by love. She was infused, permeated with divine love. We're all called to this union. John Paul II says, this is a journey totally sustained by grace, which nonetheless demands an intense spiritual commitment on our part and is no stranger to painful purifications. But it leads in various possible ways, he says, to the ineffable joy experienced by the mystics as nuptial union with the Lord. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast, that the goal of human life is not the marriage of man and woman. That's the icon. Back Mm. to the whole icon versus idol thing. Marriage is an icon. It's a window to a heavenly reality. What heavenly reality? Scripture calls it the marriage of the lamb. The saints and the mystics call it nuptial union with the Lord. Uh, It's beyond what we can dream or imagine. Uh, We don't want to you know, just imagine a, a, an infinitization of sexual union. That's not what we're talking about. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has ready for those who love him. But stammering to put this experience into words, the saints say it's, it's nuptial union. It's the fulfillment of everything marriage is, but it's lived out in the eternal marriage of Christ and the church. And he goes on, John Paul II says, how can we forget here, speaking of this call to nuptial union, Among the many shining examples in Christian history, how can we forget the teaching of John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila? So Jessica is absolutely right. We're all called to this mystical union. This does not mean we can all expect, you know, what some of the mystics experienced in terms of extraordinary signs of the mystical life. We're not all going to get the stigmata. We're not all going to have bodily levitations. Those are the extraordinary signs of the mystical life. But Jessica, you're absolutely right. The catechism says it very plainly. We're all called to this mystical union in an ordinary way. So again, I, I want to emphasize the ordinary way. You asked Jessica, is there a, uh, what did she say? Is there a different way for married people to... Is there a separate path to union for the married than to deny oneself all pleasures but those found in prayer? Okay, so so first of all, no one is called to deny all pleasures. But it's interesting, she said, Deny all pleasures except those found in prayer. As it, I want to, I want to say this. Uh, I know there's kind of a. If you're hearing an eagerness in my voice, it's because I, I there's so much I want to say, and I know I don't have time to say it, so I'm trying to cram a lot in <laughs> to a to a short time frame here. We should really spend like three episodes talking about <laughs> just this question. But um, 
what I, what I want to say is there shouldn't be a separation in our mind when we're talking about the pleasures of earthly existence and the pleasures of prayer. <laughs> and this is my point that John of the Cross says that when our ple- when earthly pleasures are purified, in other words, when that idolatrous attachment, what do I mean? I, I, I said it earlier, I maybe didn't really explain what I meant, idolatrous attachment to earthly pleasures. It's when we're expecting the pleasures of the world to do something for us that only God can do. We need to be purified of those attachments. We need to, to, to and it's painful, painful. We, we, we cling to certain pleasures because we can't imagine life without them. And we think God doesn't want to give us anything better. But as we learn to release our grip on, on that idolatrous attachment, this is what happens. And here I'm going to quote Father Dubay. He died a few years ago. He's a beautiful priest who had great insights on the work of the mystics. And this is from a book called The Fire Within. Listen to this. Those who think that detachment from creatures leads to a devaluation of them could hardly be more mistaken From the natural point of view, we come to know God from the vestiges, the hints of himself that he has left in the splendor of the visible universe. But it remains a knowledge of the infinite through the finite. That's what we mean by iconography. We come through the physical to see the spiritual. We come through the created realities to see the creator. Dubé goes on, he says, at the summit of the interior journey, Quite the opposite occurs. We know and appreciate creation through the creator. See, this is, a, this is like the reverse. The typical order, the way we start out the journey, is we come to know the creator through creation. But as we enter more and more deeply into that union with the creator, it goes in the opposite direction. We come to know creation through the creator. Nobody loves creation as much as God does. So true. In the superior knowledge of creation, St. John of the Cross was struck by what we might call a symphonic oneness in all of creation, seen as the result of the divine light. In other words, union with God shines a light back on the created world. And we rejoice in creation more than than ever. That's why I said only a saint, only a mystic can really appreciate the goodness of a beer or a glass of wine, or only a mystic married couple can really enter into the depths and glories of the marital embrace. So he goes on to say, each being gives voice to what God is in it. When we see creation rightly, every little creature and every grand creature We come to see their role in the divine symphony, and we come to hear it. All of them, John of the Cross says, produce a marvelous harmony. All of creation becomes this amazing symphony. So, creatures will be for the soul a harmonious symphony of sublime music. This is direct quote from John of the Cross. Surpassing all the concerts and melodies of the whole world. So we don't, we have to go through a painful purification. That is certainly true. But as we go through that purification, we come to delight in creatures like you can't even believe. Mm. 
Is there a separate path for married couples here? I wouldn't say it's separate. It's different. Mm-hmm. Because our path to that union with the Lord comes precisely through learning how to enter into ever more deeper union with one another in our sacrament. Mm. So again, gosh, we could talk for, that's a doctoral dissertation right there. <laughs> and yeah, yes. And yet it's it's just the stage of journey that Jessica is on and maybe some of our other listeners are as well. And the Lord is giving you great insight, Jessica, right here that you're sharing in your question yeah, already and yeah. the background to the question. And I think you are you're just needing confirmation. This is the Holy Spirit speaking yeah. to you, that sense of, I desire this union, and yet trying to follow a path that I see in other people's lives doesn't seem to be leading me yes, yes. closer to Pay attention to that. that. Yeah, that's Because the Lord has a path for you, Jessica. And, and the fruit of it will be not that you see the pleasures of prayer as one thing and the pleasures of creation another thing. Just as I was quoting John of the Cross there, the fruit of real union with the Lord is that all the pleasures of this world become the pleasures of prayer. <laughs> because you're, you, you learn to pray always and you learn to see all creation as a glorious icon of the divine. Mm-hmm. I hope that's helpful, Jessica. Okay, I have another question. It's an anonymous man asks, could you offer any TOB perspective on working out? If I honestly look at my heart as a young husband, when I work out, the cultural air I'm breathing has filled it with vanity and ego associated with increasing my strength. Yes, But I do feel a deep good in working out. My mind is just polluted by the culture. How can we maintain a St. Joseph heart while also putting effort into stewarding the masculine body that God gave us? It's a great question. Thank you for for asking it. And there's so many parallels we could draw with, with anything. For example, we've been polluted by a pornographic vision of the body. And married couples and all of us, whether you're married or not, need to learn how to appreciate God's beautiful plan for sexuality by allowing a purification of those wrong ideas and the wrong framework. Uh, It would be absolutely wrong to think because uh, the enemy has polluted sexuality with pornography that the solution is to throw sexuality out the window as if it belonged to him. Uh, That is not the path. Same with this. Certainly vanity and ego and self-serving motives have have corrupted in many ways this idea of working out. And and it's not unrelated even to pornography because pornography presents this hyper-eroticized ideal of the human body that we think I have to look that way in order to be lovable, and therefore I'm going to go on these crazy diets and work out so I can be lovable. Those are all diseased ideas and diseased ways of of thinking. Uh, They can be purified, and we can arrive at a place of healthy exercise and healthy working out that becomes purified, becomes a proper stewardship of this temple of the Holy Spirit that the human body is. So I would say to this uh, questioner who, who was anonymous, you're, 
the very fact that you can make these distinctions means you're already on a good path. It reminds me of Jessica's question. Her The question itself already was evidence that you're thinking rightly and, and entering into where the Lord seems to be leading you. You said, how can we maintain a St. Joseph heart? Can you read that last part again? How can we maintain a St. Joseph heart and what? While also putting effort into stewarding the masculine body. While also, okay, so so St. Joseph is a great example here, but let's get a right understanding of St. Joseph. I think our holy cards, our holy art uh, has betrayed us oftentimes. The notion of St. Joseph and a lot of what I grew up with in terms of images of St. Joseph, he always looked kind of flowery and rosy-cheeked and perfectly manicured. I want to see a holy card of St. Joseph with dirt under his fingernails. I want to see a holy card of St. Joseph with some biceps because this guy was a stonemason. I just learned this in uh, my trip to the Holy Land. You know, we call him a carpenter, but that's a, a translation into English of another word that in the Holy Land, carpentry was not so much working with wood. It was working with stones. He was a stonemason. He was a strong dude. So give me a give me a St. Joseph holy card with sweat stains under his arms and dirt under his fingernails and nice biceps and and a strong guy who was working with rocks for crying out loud. There is no contradiction here between that image and holiness. Mm-hmm. And if we have to have whitewashed holiness of perfect manicures and rosy cheeks, then it, to me growing up, the image was, well, that's not even human. So I don't want that because I, I don't want that. I want to, I want to go home and climb a tree. That's, that's was my impression as a little boy, you know, in Catholic schools, when I saw these holy cards, I want to go play in the dirt. I want to go climb a tree. I want to go jump off a rock into a, into a stream. And I didn't find a place in what was presented to me as Catholic art and Catholic holiness I didn't find a place for my own heart as a boy in those images. So I I just wonder if some of that wrong notion of what holiness is might be present in that comment about St. Joseph. Um, I don't mean that in an accusatory way. I just hold it out. If, if, If the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. Joseph was a real man, a stonemason who, who sweat and was dirty and was strong. And, and that's, that's, Obviously, because it's St. Joseph, that's entirely compatible with holiness. That's not the only image of holiness for a man, obviously. Not every man has the gift of physical strength, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we got to be aware of the stereotypes there as well, but we also have to recognize what true holiness is. I'd, I'd recommend you listen to Father Donald Calloway's talk from the virtual conference that we had last weekend. Uh, he gave a great talk on St. Joseph along these same lines, and he's written a book about consecration to St. Joseph that I'd recommend as well. So, I hope that's helpful. Yeah, and I just, I sense in all that you're saying that, of course, women can relate to this question as well. And I think the sense that our bodies enable us to live out love, enable us to serve. You know, the ways in which we are able to be um, healthy and strong should enable us to then serve others. And I think that the whole ego and vanity thing is kind of like, 
oh, maybe others will serve me. They'll, mm. they'll serve me by making me feel extra special. Yes, you yes, know, yes. So that, that temptation to look to be served rather than to serve, which is what the Lord said, I came to serve, not to be served. I think that can really just guide us in our, in our hearts and not to overly accuse ourselves when we see that right. we're fallen human beings, but to just lift that desire to the Lord that when we see that looking to be served, you know, or admired or whatever, to honestly say to the Lord, oh, I just want to be loved. Help me mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. it. Help me to know you love me. You know, and that that desire not become so dominant in our hearts, but the desire to love others and to serve others being the, the reason or, or a motivation in our um, caring for our bodies. That is very insightful, Wendy. I love that mm. uh, insight about the purpose of the body is to love. Mm-hmm. And you could have someone who's, by worldly standards, way out of shape, um, overweight or, or what have you, who loves profoundly with Absolutely. his or her body. Yeah. That's the purpose of the body. Conversely, you could have somebody who's in great physical condition and in you know good medical health, as we would say with our standards today, but who doesn't know the first thing about loving with mm-hmm. his or her body. Mm-hmm. Who would you prefer to be? That's a good question for us to reflect on. Who would you prefer to be? Mm-hmm. And the temptation, without a doubt, is to think, I want to have that physical prowess. Mm -hmm. When we should jump at the chance to say, no, I want to be the one who loves. That's powerful insight. Thank you for sharing that. Anytime. (laughs) I want to be somebody who loves. That's the real deal. It's the real deal. Lord, teach us how to love with our bodies. Teach us. We hope this has been a good episode for you guys. We thank you for being our faithful listeners. Please hit that share button and share this with anyone you know who you think could benefit from this podcast. We'd be grateful. Uh, again, just a reminder, go to the show notes to see all those links, mm-hmm. both, for the, both for the premium pass for our last conference that was in English and for the upcoming conference that we're going to be having online in Spanish. We love doing this podcast podfast for coo guys. That was, a, that was what was about to come out. Podfast for coo guys. <laughs> we love doing this podcast for you guys. Thank you so much. We love you. You are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes.